Blog Talk Radio. It's that time again. Time for Parenting Your Challenging Child. Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live, as always, from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine, joined by my co-host, Susie Parton, who's coming to us also live from upstate New York. Susie, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Dr. Green? I am well. Um, I didn't have to waste any time watching football this weekend. <laughs> yes, Therefore, sorry about the Patriots. Well, whatever. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we know what's important, don't we? Yes, we do. How did, the, <laughs> <laughs> how did the parents' training go last Monday in uh, Ellsworth, Maine? It, it was great. There were four or five hundred people in the room, oh, and um, it was pretty cool. Um, thanks again to the Gear Parent Support Network for sponsoring another one. We've got a nice thing going here with Gear and helping people throughout Maine hear all about CPS in these evening talks. And there are some other ones coming up that just haven't quite been finalized yet. We'll be doing a few of these in Ontario in the coming months. Um, I do these whenever I can in the places where I'm speaking anyways. Of course, the one last week in um, Ellsworth, Maine, right there outside of Bar Harbor, um, was not a talk that I was doing the day before. It's just one we scheduled for that evening. And um, it was great. I was glad so many people were able to turn out. Um, there you go. It's wonderful. The weather cooperated. As we know, my having purchased the first snowblower of my life has pretty much guaranteed <laughs> that there will no that there will not be another major dump of snow here in Maine, at least uh, for the rest of the winter. Um, apparently, my snowblower is pushing the big storms south. We'll see if that holds. Good for you. There you go. Uh, a small price to pay, I guess. So let's give the call-in number, as we always do. It's 347-994-2981. Then press 1. We do not have any callers at the moment. So uh, anything that you wanted to start with today? Um, a few weeks ago, I was talking to a mom who was telling me about her teenage son who went out on the weekends but he refused to call in or answer the phone when his parents wanted to check in. The parents were going crazy because they didn't know where the child was, if he was safe, who he was with. And the parents and the son were having some heated conversations um, with the parents threatening to take away weekends. So I suggested a Plan B conversation that the parents have with the child. And the kid explained that he didn't like answering the phone because he was busy with his friends. But, of course, the mom's concern was where the child was and um, who he was with. So the son came up with the very creative solution to help 
the mom learn how to text, and that solved the problem for both parties. That is fabulous. Although learning how to text for some people is not so easy, so we'd have to wonder if it was realistic. But uh, my um, mom, whose age I will not mention, lest she come up to Portland, Maine and shoot me, um, (laughs) uh, is just learning to text. And it's been quite amusing for the rest of us who learned a while ago. But, of course, my kids think it's very funny when I try to text, mostly because I... I can't do it two-fisted, and I make a lot of mistakes, and I'm slow. And they do it with both hands and don't make any mistakes and are fast. The speed is amazing, yes. The speed is ridiculous, and I think it's Mm -hmm. something you don't learn how to do like at the age of 50 because then the people who learned at the age of 8 have a big leg up on you and smaller fingers. Yes. Good. Thank you for telling that story. Here is another nice one. This is an email that we received. And to tell you the truth, I don't remember if I read this one or not. It was in our very large inbox. So that usually means it didn't get read. So I'm sorry if this is a repeat because it sounds familiar to some that we often receive. But here we go. This one comes from the United Kingdom. I am a single mother of a five-year-old son who exhibits challenging behavior on a frequent basis. The level of isolation and judgment I have felt because of his behavior has been more than I could ever put into words. I stumbled across your book in the local library three months ago, and it has given me hope. I have felt blamed for his challenging behavior, especially as I am a single parent who lives with grandparents. Additional to this is the fact that I am suffering from PTSD after witnessing the death of my son's father when I was seven months pregnant with my son. I have realized that my anxiety was becoming unmanageable as I felt my son could explode at any time, often in very public places, but at home as well. After reading The Explosive Child, I have realized that my son's very challenging behavior is, in fact, predictable. And this fact alone has been enough to make me feel in control and restore the relationship with my son. These past three months, I have been using Plan B, and the challenging behavior has reduced greatly though I know there is still lots of work ahead. I am genuinely looking forward to helping him unlock his potential in the years ahead, potential that so many others could not see. I live in the UK, and I don't know how it is in the US, but here many people feel it is fair game to criticize others' children and parenting skills in public and to have disparaging comments made by complete strangers. Uh, I would love to see more recognition of your life-changing work on this side of the pond. Thank you so much for what you have done in this field. Before I found your book, I didn't have a flicker of hope, and now it is like seeing the sunlight again after years doing without. They don't get any better than that, do they? No, they don't. That's wonderful. Had I read that one before? You know, it doesn't sound familiar to me. It does not? It does not. All right. And this mom wanted to know when I would be speaking in the U.K., and I will be speaking in the U.K. in the fall. And you can find that info on the uh, CPS Connection website, cpsconnection.com. May I just add one thing? Please. Um, I wanted to say that it's especially important 
um, that everyone who has contact with the child try to be on the same page um, so that they understand what's going on and what the parent is trying to do. That having been said, um, some people with very um, strong but well-meaning personalities um, offer unsolicited advice and sometimes, um, you know, relationships are bruised because this isn't conventional wisdom and it's, um, it's different than what other people have been taught. That sometimes comes into play with grandparents, mm-hmm. um, but it can come into play with anybody. Um, we are all, a lot of us are very judgmental when a kid is misbehaving or struggling um, or in the parlance of this model, exhibiting behaviors as the expression of the fact that they are having difficulty meeting certain expectations. Um, And a lot of people are very judgmental about that and almost automatically rut into believing that this is about poor parenting and that if this kid just had parents who were more decisive and more punitive and more whatever these things wouldn't be happening. Um, of course, those views tend to change once you have a behaviorally challenging child in your own household. Not that I'm wishing a behaviorally challenging child on anybody, but one thing I often say about parents of behaviorally challenging kids and teachers too is that they know things that other folks don't know. They know more about kids than other folks don't know. They know more about human beings that other folks don't know because they've lived it and they've had to get to know about it and they've often had to change their ways in response to it. And lots of folks haven't had that experience. So there actually is a silver lining to having a behaviorally challenging kid, even though many parents and teachers who are in the thick of dealing with one do not feel that way. That's exactly right. Here's one. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. I read your book, Lost at School, and I'm reading now The Explosive Child. My child just started second grade and got an amazing teacher who would like to try Plan B after reading the book. First of all, I'm delighted that your child has an amazing teacher. There are many of those out there. She feels my daughter acts up when she's not sure what is expected of her or when she doesn't know exactly what she needs to do. Just want to confirm that that is one of the lagging skills. At first, we thought it was difficulty making transitions. However, the teacher noted that if the transitions from one subject to the next, where she knows exactly what to do, she's fine. Your response would be greatly appreciated. Keep up your great work. Don't worry, I don't plan on stopping. So here's the deal. Um, On the ALSIP, while it is great to check off lagging skills, and while lagging skills are a great segue into identifying expectations the child is having difficulty meeting. You don't want to get caught up trying to figure out which lagging skill best explains a particular unmet expectation or unsolved problem. Um, You can't figure that out with any great precision. You simply want to operate on the assumption that multiple lagging skills could be contributing to the same unsolved problem. 
So while it is great to check off lagging skills because it helps us wear the right lenses when it comes to a behaviorally challenging child, much better to see the child through the prism of lagging skills than a whole bunch of the other things we say about these kids. What you really want to get precision on is unsolved problems. And you don't really have to work as hard, believe it or not, as the teacher is working, although I do admire her good intentions, assuming it yet to her. Um, so we don't have to, we just want to write in uh, the expectations the child is having difficulty meeting. And if there are certain subjects the child is having difficulty moving to from and to others, you want to write those in. You don't really want to have to figure out why sometimes and not others. That is a question you will be asking in the empathy step. But the empathy step has to begin with a good unsolved problem, a well-worded unsolved problem. And well-worded means, according to the guidelines, that people will find on the ELSIP guide in the paperwork section of the resources section of the Lives in the Balance website, those guidelines help make sure that the introduction to the empathy step begins with a very precise unsolved problem. If we don't begin with a good unsolved problem, plan B often fails to launch, and we want plan B to launch. So you want to find a copy of the ALSIP, you and the teacher. Uh, find the ALSIP guide. Both of them are in the paperwork section of the resources section of the Lives in the Balance website. And uh, check off those lagging skills, but especially write in very specific unsolved problems. And remember, you don't have to figure everything out. You've got a teammate, the kid, to fill in all the information you may be lacking. Susie, anything to add to that? Uh, not really. It's great advice, and there's not much that I could add. All right. Let's move on to another one. Let me first see if anybody has called in. Nope. We've been low on callers lately, and we can't blame, we can't blame snowstorms today. Here we go. I have a challenging three-and-a-half-year-old son with very challenging behavior, and I just wanted to check if the book The Explosive Child applies to children that young. It seems like most of the examples in the book include older kids. Here's what's interesting. I frequently hear from people both sides of the coin. Many people tell me that the book seems to apply to children who are very young. Many people tell me the book seems to apply to children who are very old, the book applies, believe it or not, from zero to death, which is quite a wide age range. Um, the big issue is whether the child has the capacity, the language processing and communication skills, to participate in Plan B in words, spoken words. Um, I've done Plan B in the spoken word, with two-year-olds, two-year-olds who were quick in developing the spoken word. I've done Plan B without words with kids 17 and older because they didn't have the spoken word. If a kid doesn't have the spoken word, we have to do things like pictures, hand signals, sign language. To the degree that the vast majority of three-and-a-half-year-olds have developed language processing and communication skills, 
in accordance with expectations for three-and-a-half-year-olds, then most three-and-a-half-year-olds can participate in Plan B in words. But as always say, the reference point here is infants. Infants have unsolved problems. They just can't tell us what they are in words, but they are communicating. Infants have concerns about those unsolved problems, but they can't tell us about that in words either, even though they are communicating. And we do collaborate with infants because infants are delighted to let you know if the solution you come up with based on what you think is getting in the infant's way is getting the job done. Zero to death. That's when you're using those three steps. Susie, what do you think? I think that's what's great about the model is that it it works whatever the child's age is. Um, You know, in our case, Our 10-year-old was very compromised in language, and uh, as I've said before, we had to teach him a vocabulary for when he was starting to get heated and upset. Um, I also, I know I've said this many times, but your new book, Um, Well, maybe it's not so new anymore, but The Adventures of Stretch More um, by Dr. Epstein and yourself, uh, Picking Your Path Stories for Solving Problems Together is another great read that helps parents with examples. Um, Susie, I don't think anybody does better PR for The Adventures of Stretch More. (laughs) Than you do. It's a great book. Thank you. Um, There's two great ones coming out this year. Lost and Found comes out Uh in May. It's the follow-up to Lost at School. And um, I'm just as we almost as we speak, but about ten minutes before we started this program, I'm putting the finishing touches on the edits for that book. And Raising Human Beings comes out in August, and I should have the galleys for that in about a week. Um, as the expression goes, I'm jumping from one galley to another. But we have a caller. Can't wait. Okay, great. From area code 978, you're on the air. What's up today? Hi, Dr. Green and Susie. Uh, thanks for, for the show. Uh, my wife and I uh, love um, the perspective that you bring and in, uh, in the model. And uh, I wish I could say that we weren't struggling so much <laughs> Uh, and employing it, but um, so we have a six-year-old classic, uh, classic example uh, boy of um, explosive child. Kind of keeps it together at half-day kindergarten. Um, keeps it together um, when with uh, grandparents, uh, and we are out, for example. Um, but it really is the relationship and that we have with our son, my wife and I, that seems to be the biggest. Uh, firecracker and uh, and we can't seem to get beyond the uh, empathy stage uh, we're kind of stuck when we're trying to drill um, in trying to figure out what's up um, and I guess I'm just calling to see if um, if you just have any suggestions as to how to how to effectively get beyond the empathy stage well, first of all, thanks for calling in. And secondly, we're sorry you're struggling. 
And thirdly, let's see if we can help. Let's go through our sort of, um, I don't have a checklist sitting in front of me, but let's go through our checklist of things that could be going wrong in the empathy step. Good? Right. Yeah. Here's a, here's a few possibilities. Possibly number one is, tell, tell, and just check them off as we go along here. Tell us what's true sure. and what's not. Possibly number one is that you are not doing plan B proactively. You're doing it in the heat of the moment emergently. I would what do say you think? that I'd say that's most common for sure uh, when we started, um, and most recently we've we've tried um, pretty pretty well I think on our end to not be in the heat of the moment because as as you've noted many times uh, in this show before you're just not going to get anywhere and they just the you know the decision making process just isn't there for the child. Um, so what we just seem to get the same response out of our child. So when not in the heat of the moment, mm-hmm. um, it's either I'm bored or what can I do? Those are the two catchphrases that we know when he says those things, it's going to be a disaster. Okay, let's um, continue and, with our checklist. Okay, great. Just possibly number two. The unsolved problem that you are approaching him about, and I'm going to ask you for an example in a second, but those guidelines for writing unsolved problems, Mm -hmm. there's four of them. No behavior, no adult theories, split not clumped and specific are really crucial because if we plunge into the introduction of the empathy step with an unsolved problem, that isn't written according to the guidelines, then in many cases the kid will say, I don't know, or simply won't talk, or Mm -hmm. may say something pretty standard. And so hypothesis number two here is the unsolved problems that you're trying to approach him about are being written not according to the guidelines and therefore may be shooting yourself in the foot before you get even rolling. So let's let's diagnose that. Uh, not, I don't want to use that term. Let's assess that one. I, I um, can you big, give us huge? I'd put a big huge check mark next to this one. <laughs> Got it. So can you give us an example of an an unsolved problem that you've been approaching your son about? Um, so um, we've we've tried to approach him about um, when. About his schedule. So it, it, the unsolved problem seems to be um, that the schedule that we have for the day or don't have for the day um, causes, seems to cause, um, you know, a problem for him. Um, so we've, we've tried approaching him along the lines of, well, you know, can you tell us what you think about um, what you want to do today? Or here's what we have today. How, how do you feel about that? Um, and initially he'll say, fine, sounds good, and it's great, and then as we start to transition from one activity to another, say um, the other day we tried to go indoor swimming, it was great, sounded like a great idea the night before. He he was all for it that morning, and then as we tried to transition from that one activity at home to swimming, we couldn't do it, and it was, what can I do? What can I do? And we were, well, we're going to do swimming, and what can I do? What can I do? I don't want to do swimming. 
Um, and there's definitely some anxiety about transitioning from one place away from home to another place. We just don't know how to solve it or even how to approach solving it. I mean, we know how to approach it, but we feel like we're not approaching it properly. So here's the deal. Uh, As I'm hearing about it, I'm hearing that the way we'd want to write the unsolved problem on the LSIP, and so here, this is diagnostic, not diagnostic, this is assessment question number three. Mm -hmm. Have you done the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems? We have, um, although not not all the way through, um, but we have just only from this perspective, as we started going down and we had uh, read the book as well and we, we learned about the prioritizing, we, looked, we started going down and we started writing up unsolved problems and we, we hit what we knew was priority number one. And now we didn't go through it. So, you know, I would definitely take that advice of, well, go, go the rest of the way through it. But the transitioning from one place to another would be priority number one. And so we're almost on like plan C, you forget everything else and let's just try to solve this one. Got it. But here's the deal. Mm-hmm. You're not prioritizing lagging skills. You're prioritizing unsolved problems. Okay. So even though it felt like you hit pay dirt on difficulty making transitions, which is a lagging skill, right. you still need to write very specific unsolved specific. Yeah. problems that are associated with that lagging skill. Otherwise, one of two things is going to happen. Even if you try to do it proactively, the unsolved problem is going to sound like this. I've noticed that you're having difficulty making transitions. What's up? And that makes your son think about all of the transitions he's having difficulty making and all of the different reasons he's having trouble making them, and you are guaranteed something along the lines of, I don't know. But here's the other possibility. The other possibility is because... You haven't identified specific unsolved problems. You are therefore going to wait until specific difficulties making transitions pop up. Pop up, And then you're in the heat of the moment. Right, right. And you don't want to be in the heat of the moment. So we've been in the heat of the moment a lot. (laughs) Right. It's worth the time to word those, first of all, to identify these specific unsolved problems, but secondly, to... Um, prioritize the unsolved problems, not the lagging skills. And here's the good news. Just based on what you've told us, one of the things that it sounds like is an unsolved problem. Is di- and this is a specific example of difficulty making transitions. Is difficulty going to swimming, indoor swimming, on the weekend. Right. That's what you're going to approach him about. Because if you approach him on difficulty making transitions, you are going to be talking with him about the universe of transitions he's having difficulty making, and he's not going to know what to say. It's just too immense for him. Yeah. It's too immense. You're talking about the universe of transitions there. But if you talk with him about difficulty going to indoor swimming on the weekend, now we're going to find out does he move beyond his sort of stereotypic responses? If he doesn't, if you still get those responses, so now you're out of the heat of the moment, and you are talking with him about a very specific unsolved problem and not the universe, so it's proactive and it's specific, 
then we're going to find out, does he still have difficulty responding? If he does, okay. we're going to be in different territory. But we sort of have to pass through those different lenses before we come to any conclusions about whether he's able to think about and express his concerns. That make sense? That makes complete sense. Now, here's the yeah, question. It, Is he a pretty expressive kid outside the context of Plan B? Um, expressive in terms of how he's feeling? No, just expressive in terms of him being able to put his thoughts into words. Uh, yes. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, he's He really lacks any kind of um, willingness, skill, desire to express how he feels. So, you know, we won't often hear, I'm happy, um, uh, you know, this makes me mad, or um, I'm confused. We won't hear that. But expressive in terms of um, I want to do this or I'd like to do that, not even necessarily demanding. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he kind of tells us what he'd like to do and, and where he'd like to go and things like that. Got it. Well, as long as he's not telling you where to go, whether we're in good right. shape. But, <laughs> but, but here's the deal. Um, if he's pretty expressive outside the context of Plan B, and first of all, when you're drilling for information in the empathy step, you mm. are not asking him about how he feels anyway. So he's off the hook for that. That's not going to be right. a major impediment. If that's not something he likes talking about, that's not going to hurt you when you're doing the empathy step of Plan B. But I don't know if you've seen it, but in the resources section of the Lives in the Balance website, in the paperwork section, there's mm -hmm. the drilling cheat sheet. Oh, awesome. And it's going to give you tips on what you can say yeah, if your exactly son says something that feels like a non-starter. Right. So here's the deal. Uh, and I'm, let's have Susie weigh in here as well. But here's what I would do. Start with that specific unsolved problem and do it proactively. Mm -hmm. See how it goes. Use the drilling cheat sheet and call us next week and let us know how it went. I absolutely will. Susie, anything that you wanted to throw into the hopper here? Um, just that it might take a while for your son to participate in Plan B conversations. Um, we just kept plugging away at it. Uh, our son had difficulty when things didn't go the way he expected them to go. Yes, and I know exactly how that feels. Yes, He had an idea, and it was hard to shake it loose. Yes. So, you know, we would say to him, what can we do not to throw you off, you know, when things might not go the way he envisioned? Um, right. Empathizing and letting our son know that he was heard um, a reflective listening was was a helpful strategy with that mm -hmm. um, and how it should be said. Um, I wanted to say that it's great that it sounds like you're prioritizing and letting, working on the big stuff and letting the little things go by the wayside for now. Um, but it's, Susie, it's can, I, can I ask you a question? Of course. Um, just before I came on, uh, you were talking about, um, uh, you know, teaching a new vocabulary um, mm -hmm. to your to your son, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, and obviously this can be often to Dr. Green as well. But any um, 
any strategies as to how we'll go how to go about offering this new vocabulary, um, just using it generally and just hoping that it absorbs um, or specifically engaging in a conversation about when we struggle, these are the words we say or that's exactly right, yep um, so he was compromised in language and mm-hmm. We taught him, you know, something's bothering me or I'm frustrated or it makes me really mad when such and such happens. Um, we tried to, in a calm moment, figure out ways to help him before he lost his temper. Right. How to calm That's down. That's exactly what we're looking for. Yep. Counting to 20 helped him um, or walking away and going to a quiet place, whether it be his room or uh, someplace quiet in the house. He also um, liked to have his back scratched or go to the gym and work out some of that um, physical energy. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a nice situation that he could also go to his grandparents' house or a close friend if um, if things got too heated. If he's feeling like he's struggling, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do, does that help? Yeah, no, that's that's wonderful, absolutely. Um, kind of right along the same lines I was thinking, but it, it's great to it's great to hear the the specific examples nonetheless. Yeah, we we would actually say, I know this is what you say when you don't know what to say, but this might be a better way to express yourself. I mean, this was all proactively. Right. Okay. Well, thank you guys very much, and I'll be sure to call back. Love your show. You bet. Let us know how it goes. Our pleasure. So here's the thing. Um, um, It's great for a kid to have the words to say something adaptive when he's frustrated. And that's often a component of working with a kid to Mm -hmm. implement CPS. But, of course, it's better. That's useful. It's better to have um, those problems solved proactively so the kid doesn't need those words. Mm Mm-hmm course in life we can't always anticipate every problem that's going to come up and deal with it proactively so having a vocabulary is a good thing it's just that we don't want to make it the primary focal point of our efforts to help the kid because then the kid is primarily now saying great things in the midst of frustration but none of the problems that are causing the frustration are getting solved so it's um, good to have just not good to hang your only hat on, I guess, is the way I would put it. Here is an email. No more callers at the moment. Here's an email. I'll give the number one more time just in case anybody wants to slip in here at the end. Uh, 347-994-2981. Here's one Please I have been one. looking Thank you. Uh, here's one I've been looking forward to responding to since... Mid-December. So you can tell, because sometimes it takes us a while to get to these. It says, Mm -hmm. kids do well if they can, in quotes. I agree, but please define well. I think what I define as well is often not what they define as well. I agree now. 
that my kids do well if they can. That agreement has taken many years, and I still revert often. Where I struggle with this lens is when I think of what I think of as well does not appear to be what my son thinks of as well, so that even if he could, he still wouldn't. I love that question. See, here's the deal. Yeah, you have expectations, Dad. And that's those expectations are how you exert your influence. And the influence that you are exerting through your expectations lets your son know your definition of doing well. The thing is, your son has his own definition of doing well based on his skills and preferences and goals and direction. The beauty of plan B is that it brings those two together. Your expectations, your definition of doing well, his characteristics, including his definition of doing well. With plan A, you're basically saying, uh, I'm in control here, and it is my definition of doing well that is going to carry the day. Uh, your characteristics, kid, do not matter. Um, I'm imposing my definition of doing well on you. Um, if you were to be uh, capitulating habitually, then what you'd basically be saying is, kid, it's your definition of doing well. I got nothing. I have no influence. I have no expectations. You do what you want. Plan B is what brings them together. The, the scary part about Plan B for many people is that, um, well, they have to give up control. The reality is that they didn't have it in the first place. The best you can shoot for is having influence. So it is good for caregivers to have a definition of doing well. It is good for caregivers to have expectations. It is good for caregivers to make sure that those expectations are clear. It is even better to recognize that those expectations have to be balanced against the characteristics of the kid upon whom those expectations are being placed. And that over time, it's actually a wonderful development for the kid to start to develop his own definition of what doing well means. All good, so long as you're shooting for influence, not control. Susie, you have a few kids. Do, is their definition of doing well the same as yours? Hmm. Um, I honestly haven't thought about that. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I think I'd have to get back to you on that. I, I really <laughs> would have to... Uh, well, let me ask it a different way. Yeah? Have your kids, of course, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. I could answer for my own kids. 
Is there anything about your kids and their definition of doing well that is not exactly what you had hoped for, not exactly what you would have expected, and not exactly the way things would have turned out if you'd have, quote-unquote, had your way? I think I understand. Um, In our daughter's case, um, she is working um, and living in a foreign country and happy and healthy and doing well. Um, It's not exactly what I expected. Um, I would have loved for her to have continued on to college and uh, complete that education, but that's not what she uh, needed to do. And so those were different expectations. Um, I try to focus on the positive part and and that she's living her life the way she wants to. Is is that what you were kind of asking? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. When I look at my two, um, they sometimes deviate from my expectations. They deviate from my expectations sometimes on the timeliness I'm not referring to either of them specifically now, but the timeliness on which homework is completed. Mm -hmm. They deviate from my expectations sometimes as it relates to the amount of sleep they are getting at night. Um, But when I think about those things, obviously I can always do plan B if I decide I would like to pursue my expectation. I can always do plan C if I decide, you know what, Um, I'm going to let this one ride and see how they do with it for now, and I'll intervene if I feel the need to. But I want to give my kids the chance to um, chart their own path and solve their own problems. I'll intervene if it looks like the problems aren't getting solved. Um, But when I look at them, and they're 15 and 18 now, my main goals at this point, happy, healthy. Mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting is, although I like to think I've had influence over the years, and I like to think, well, I'm sure of this, Plan B has helped me get there. Happy is something they get to define. Doing well is something they get to define. I like to think I've had influence, and I like to think, though I'm not so sure about this one, that my definition of doing well has influenced their definition of doing well, but ultimately, it's their definition of doing well. Hmm. And I wish I'd have known that when they were three. Yeah, well, you'll get that chance with grandchildren. There you go. 
Um, so I, that's why I've been looking forward to answering that one for a very long time. And we now no longer have time. We've got about a minute left, but we don't have time to answer any of the other ones we have in the mailbag. So uh, unless you have any last thoughts, we should probably call it a day for today. Have fun with the educators program this afternoon. Thank you. I already know that Tom and Nina can make it. I haven't checked my email during this program to see who else can, but it's always a fun program. Mm -hmm. And um, we have some things in the mailbag for the educators to respond to as well, so it should be fun. Susie, as always, thank you for doing this. My pleasure. Um, And uh, we'll be back again next week with another segment of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Take care. 